Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is the un- our unindicted wave-making co-conspirator, John Dunn. Um, if you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663, or you can send us an email to dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us. 813-433-0885. Today's guest joined us last year to talk about the popular Netflix series Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist, based on the 2013 Deadspin story he broke about a uh, crazy catfishing attempt against Notre Dame football star Monte Teo. Now Tim Burke is back in the studio to discuss the crazy story he's been living since May involving Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Kanye West, and the FBI. Welcome to Wavemakers, Tim. Oh, thank you, Tom. I, I would say that I'm happy to be back here joining you, but when you put it <laughs> into those terms, I think, well, okay, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate the circumstances yeah, that have circumstances. driven me to return to this studio. We'll have you back under better circumstances. Um, you may have heard that the FBI raided Tim's Tampa home back in May, it got a lot of headlines locally, partly because he shares that home with his wife, Lynn Hertak, who he had helped get elected to the Tampa City Council just a couple months earlier. What you may not have heard much about are the First Amendment questions surrounding the case. Questions about whether Joe Biden's Justice Department has violated Tim's rights as a journalist and whether the Justice Department even understands what a journalist is or how the Internet works. <laughs> According to a letter obtained by the Tampa Bay Times, the FBI investigation focuses on videos leaked to Vice News and Media Matters, a left-leaning media watchdog that embarrassed Fox News and Tucker Carlson. So embarrassing, there's been speculation they played a role in Carlson's ouster from the network. Prosecutor Jay Trezevant told Fox that the investigation is focused on allegations of unauthorized computer access, interception of wire, oral, or electronic communication, conspiracy, and other federal crimes. Tim says he hasn't broken any laws, and most importantly, he has not been charged with anything. But the raid, for a long time, effectively closed his business by taking away virtually all of the equipment he needed to make a living. Uh, and he's been forced to spend thousands of dollars in legal fees to defend himself. We'll be joined later by attorney Allison Steele to discuss the First Amendment implications of this investigation. But first, Tim, take us back to the morning of May 8th. Tell us what happened that day, starting very early, pre-dawn, I take it? Right. It was 6 a.m. And so, you know, we've been foster parents for Tampa Bay Beagle Rescue for a long time. And we had our 21st foster dog, Jelly, um, who... It has been the most difficult of all of the <laughs> dogs that we fostered, and and particularly uh, a dog that really does not get along well when anybody's at the front door, which, of course, at a time when we're running a 
political campaign and we have people on our front porch picking up yard signs and lit and stuff all the time was not great. But this was something else because at 6 a.m. the dog is going crazy and there's banging on the front door. And I'm thinking somebody had an accident or something. So I go out and, you know, we have a glass front door and there's all these lights shining through it and this banging and shouting my name. And that's when I start to get, I mean, I, I believe they were going to shoot the dog. I and mean, the dog is attacking the door. That's mm-hmm. what the dog does. And they're banging on the door, antagonizing the dog, yelling at me. I don't know what's going on because I've just woken up. I went to bed four hours earlier. You keep late hours because of your work. Right. So I managed, I, obviously they did not shoot the dog and we went on eight months later to adopt the dog, uh, or I guess seven months later to adopt the dog. Jelly is now our dog, but, um, they, you know, they had us go outside they said they had a search warrant and I asked if I could see the search warrant and they said later. Did they say FBI open up? What, 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 what did you hear? I just heard my name. They were yelling my name and I, and I was just, I like, that's just weird. And, but you also sort of like people are banging on your door and there's a bunch of like you're blinded mm-hmm. by the lights, yeah. you have a pretty good idea that this is some kind of law enforcement action. So, oh, were you afraid? I would be afraid that they were coming to tell me that something had happened to a member of my family. Uh, no, because the I mean the flash like the flashlights, yeah. right? The the pointing when they're pointing things at you, and, you, and you can't see anything because it's dazzling you from the stuff that they're pointing at you. Then you, you you tend to think that okay they're they're coming for this and I didn't know and again they didn't show me the the search warrant for probably twenty minutes after they arrived and you know we just sat uh, on the on the on the in the yard across the street waiting for them to give it to us while they went through the house went through my office they, they did you have any you, idea were you like what did i do what what is this all about were you were i you mean just, that's what the asking for the search warrant was supposed to be for i yeah. it's it, that was the sort of really annoying aspect of this is that i just wanted to see whatever look i am a journalist who has worked in a a a an area of our business that antagonizes people. Oftentimes, we antagonize very powerful people. I worked for Gawker for seven years. I I worked at the Daily Beast for a year. It was your it's, business to antagonize people. Let's face it. It's it you can't you couldn't work the way that I work without expecting that you know yeah someday somebody powerful is going to try to use the government against you. So. Like for me, it's it's really just a matter of okay, I want to see what this is about, and then finally they give me this copy of the search warrant, and it says wiretapping and hacking, and then it's a you got the wrong guy, right? Like this is not this isn't this isn't me. This I haven't done anything like this, but also understanding my rights, I wasn't about to stick around and you know, allow them to force me to unlock my phone, unlock my computer, anything like that. So we left. We went two doors down to our, our neighbor's house and, and it turns out, you know, my neighbor is a retired DEA agent. And how convenient. I know. It's very, very convenient. And his wife had because we didn't have our phones, we didn't have any of that stuff, but um our neighbor had Lynn's aide, Kelly's phone number. And we were able to call Kelly 
and then through Kelly get the number of um, James Michael Shaw, the local ACLU attorney, who was able to come over and take a look at the, the search warrant and explain to me what it was that the government had claimed that there was. And, and this, can, they took, took your wife's phone. I just wanted to get back to that for a second because this search warrant has your name on it. Right. They took many things belonging to my wife. They took my wife's phone. They took her computer. Uh, they took her old phone. They took two of her older computers. Um, they they took everything electronic, it, basically in the house and in my office. And they took many things that were not. And this is sort of the thing is you know to to jump ahead. Like we spend the day hanging out in our neighbor's house with the dog. Our neighbor goes back and forth chatting up the FBI agents trying to get an idea of what they're looking for and when they're going to be gone. Finally, we get to go back and, you know, they left my office open all day long. They left the house open all day long. There's there's mosquitoes and flies running through. They had absolutely trashed our house. Our house, like they went up in the attic. That You can't do anything in an attic of a house built like after 1970 in in Florida, right? <laughs> if you can even uh, get up into the attic. Even, even, you know, especially after 1995, you really can't even do that. But they, they tried to. And so they, they, like our closet, which is where the access to the attic is, covered in insulation that they had fallen down from the attic. And in fact, just the other day, you know, it was very cold out and I went to go find a hat or a scarf or something and like the box of all the winter clothes because I hadn't gotten to it since May. Uh, again, full of insulation from the FBI. Were they like emptying the your dresser drawers? Yeah, I mean, it was. They taught like in the in the in our little parlor room up front. The, there's a couch in there, and they you know tossed it. Oh uh, my gosh! Yeah, I mean, it was a total. It was a complete mess. They absolutely. I mean, they absolutely. Could, could you stay there? Would they have let you stay there? And and, and oh watch sure, they would have happily. I think let us stay there. But if we'd stay there, then they could have compelled us to unlock our phones and computers and everything else, which. Right. I always, I'm not going to encourage anybody under those circumstances. Obviously, I've learned a few things, which is like, don't have any biometric ways of unlocking your phone or computers because they can compel you to do that. Uh, so just don't enable it. Don't also enable no, any, no face unlock. No face ID, fake. no thumbprint ID, none of that stuff. Just use passwords. Uh, <laughs> Got it. Also, if, wow. the, if you get a knock on your door at 6 a.m., take your phone with you because... If you take your phone with you and then you leave and you go across the street and you're no longer on your property, they can't seize your phone from you. Whereas if you leave it sitting on your bedstand, then they're going to take it and you're not going to get it back. And I still haven't gotten it back. And it's been uh, um, seven and a half months. Oh, and I still I know. That's, that's terrible. I don't like being without my phone for an hour. <laughs> I had a thousand. A I had a thousand. I had a one thousand thirty-two day Duolingo streak. That oh was up. no, that oh, stinks. Yeah. That's the worst. Yes. <laughs> but they can't access your phone without your help, right? If uh, two finger. Well, that's where we get. So you know, you know, we well, we we have, we have so many different amendments to talk about today, Tom. Because yeah. this is a First Amendment issue. Yes. It's also a Fourth Amendment and a Fifth Amendment issue because yes, one of the things that they bargained with me for to, if I wanted to get access to my phone, is they said, "Give us your, um, give us your passcode to unlock it." 
and then we'll let you access your phone. Well, that's a, a pretty a pretty clear, you know, violation. I, you can't compel me to, to do that part. And saying, that, well, we're going to take this thing that we shouldn't have seized and we're not going to give it back to you unless you do. As it turns out, they eventually made their way into the phone on their own without the passcode and they still haven't given it back. And that's the really baffling thing to me is they know, like the things that they've told us, what they know that this is about, don't have anything to do with phones. There's no, there's no reason for them to want my phone except to have, I don't know, like my contacts and, you know, my, you look at the contacts in my phone and it's all neighborhood people because I'm our neighborhood president and I kind of keep track of who's on the home tour committee and who's on the neighborhood involvement committee. There's a lot of phone numbers in there for that stuff. And text messages, I imagine. Right, yeah. And, and uh, I, I mean, every single, you know, intimate text message between my wife and I that they seized that they, they weren't supposed to. But, on but top what of I don't understand is why they haven't given it back because, you know, the FBI seized Mayor Adams's cell phone up in New York City investigation that's been going on there for a while but they gave it right back to him yeah they just they downloaded the information and they gave it back to him why won't they do that with yours i i don't know um it could be that when they i, I mean i don't know i'm not yeah. going to speculate about that right i really don't and, and they won't yeah. say right if you're just tuning in you're listening to wave makers on wmnf with janet and tom and our guest is tim burke a journalist who's cell phone and computers and other electronic devices were seized by the FBI and he was accused of illegally we think he's being accused of illegally obtaining some videos that embarrassed Tucker Carlson um, of all people. We've got an email here from um, David Bryant who says, I find it ironic that a real journalist like Tim was taken down by a fake journalist like Tucker Carlson. I hate Tucker and all his mother Tuckers. I hope he'll keep up the good fight. I also hope he's okay financially since the FBI essentially, essentially took away his livelihood. And for what? Protecting a whiny bitch like Tucker. Shameful. So if you would like to send a, an email and comment about, um, uh, pose a question to Tim or, or comment on the FBI or anything else, you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org or you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. And basically, is it that correct? Is Am I saying that right? I don't even know what the legalities are, what you do know, what you don't know, but... It, it's videos that were out there publicly available, and and the accusation is that they were uh, illegally obtained. Is am I saying that right? Or am as, I making stuff as, up? As best I can tell from the limited information that they've given us, that's what this is about. This is about uh, video from Fox News that was broadcast publicly. Anybody could have watched it. Anybody could have downloaded it the same way that I did, and um, the publication of that of that video, video that revealed that Fox News was willing to cover up for anti-Semitism, video that shows maybe possibly abusive workplace on the Tucker Carlson show, and other materials which I have been prevented from doing further reporting on because it's been seized. So, But, But to be clear, this was footage that was not aired. Right. This is not recording Fox News that night and happened to catch something embarrassing. Right. This was material. Because just to help folks understand the way the Tucker Carlson show 
uh, was made, he was either in Maine or in South Florida. And then, you know, these videos have to end up going to New York and there's satellites involved. And, well, I don't really know what's involved, but there are ways of accessing videos that don't involve hacking. Right. His program, you know, originated from one of his homes. And yeah. so there was a transport of sorts that, you know, sent that video to New York so that it could be aired. Or in some cases, if it was a interview happening off air, that it would be, uh, you know, edited and, and then prepared for playback on, on his program. But, um, that's yeah. That's that's really the the only information that we have about this. It's the best information that we have about this, and um, you know, over time, over you know, they they took dozens and dozens of of items, and over time they returned a few of those things. But it's all very very old. You know, like a two thousand nine uh, MacBook. All right, they gave me back my two thousand nine MacBook. They gave me back a twenty ten. Uh, like a tw computer from 2010. Uh, they gave me back an iPhone 4. Now, that when the <laughs> iPhone 4 came out, I think that's also like 2010. Uh, I'm impressed that it was still see, working. It was 11 years ago, so 2012, I guess. Um, but, you know, none of my, not, not my current phone, not even the phone that I had before my current phone, none of my current computers, and all of those things, and it's, it's not, I, yes, I would like to have the data back to continue doing the reporting that they're infringing my First Amendment rights on. But also there's all of the hardware, video cards, everything else that I use for other parts of right. the stuff that I do for my job that there's no data on at all, right? These are just, you know, hardware pieces. And that they haven't given those things back it has basically rendered it so that I, I can't do any of the things that, Alec, you know, make up this wide array of things that are, are my career. And let, let's just, folks who don't know, and again, I, I believe that this is right, that part of what you do is you, you compile videos from um, sporting events, right? Is that correct? That's what you're doing? Sure. Is that so, when people see these replays and cool videos, that's some of Tim Burke's work? Sometimes. Um, I, I really, I, the last couple of years, I've gotten away from that so much to doing things like helping launch uh, news startups and uh, teaching video capture techniques, turning breaking news into content, et cetera. Okay. But I do have a number of clients that, are you know I'm a subcontractor for I think several NBA teams in the video procurement and analysis line of work. Um, also, but just there are a lot of sporting events that I do have to capture all the time, and mm -hmm. and I was fortunate that I was able to sort of get that one remaining part of my career back on track pretty quickly because someone loaned me a computer. Mm -hmm. right after this happened. What was the value, the dollar value of all the stuff they took? Do you have any sense of that? I mean, it would, it, it, that's, oh, Janet, that's, that's tough because it's like, how do you predict? If I'm building something, if something's in development, research and development over a certain technique or over a, a certain workflow for, for doing something uh, and they interrupt my research into that, What's the value of it? Mm -hmm. What's the value of it now? What's the value of it tomorrow? Right. What was the value when they took it? 
So it's kind of hard to answer. I mean, they took a very, very expensive, very, very large, very, very powerful computer that was my main workstation. Obviously, that's thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. But yeah. the intellectual property value is is probably, I mean, and again, do I want to say millions? It might be the millions. Right. Uh, I don't want to play up the stuff I've been working on too much, but it very well might be millions. Right. Uh, I certainly know that when you add up what they have deprived me of access to combined with my legal bills right. and the other costs of not just like the other costs, like the, the business I haven't been able to generate because of this, the jobs I haven't gotten because of the, that is into Right. You know, seven figures. A lot of damages. A lot of damages. The um, We got an email from Bubba who says, I had a chance to see Tim's operation a few years ago when, when his house was on the Seminole Heights home tour. Very impressive. It's a shame that Tim has become a political prisoner. Um, but getting back to the day that the FBI knocked on your door, you went away for a while. They were there all day? They were there till I want to say, like 4, 4 p.m. or so. At some point, a reporter found out about this because the FBI doesn't generally send out a press release alerting the media to... Uh, yeah, I, I think a neighbor uh, emailed or texted a, a reporter to come check it out. Yeah. Did that uh, cause a problem for you once that became public? or? Well, I don't generally... I mean, I try as a journalist, to be very understanding of the position of other journalists and their obligations to communicate news. In this instance, you know, I think, yes. Is it responsible for you to say that a journalist's home was raided? Sure. But it's also a question. Yeah, our house was raided too. My wife's computers and phone. They did eventually give her her phone back. But... You know, these things were taken by the FBI, even though the search warrant specifically said, like, excluded them. Yeah. So. And, and also, just to be clear, much of the attention initially was not on you. It was on Lynn. Well, right. Ertek, and that's. Because they were not handing the, the search warrant out. You had a copy. Did you have a copy or did you yeah, show it? I you? had a copy. Yeah. You had a copy. Yeah. Uh, but you couldn't show the reporter that, right? Or there was a. I suppose decision. I could have, yeah. but in this instance, it's probably unwise to have done that immediately. So then, oh, that you're trying to find out all the implications, right. you probably like had no idea right. what that so, was going on. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, right. So you're you're trying to, and and this is again, you know, anytime you don't want to, as a journalist, you don't want to be part of the story. But this time, you you know, you are the story, you are the story. and <laughs> it's obvious from the search warrant that, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with your wife. And you have a pretty decent idea, even from trying to sort through how bizarre and, uh, you know, the, the how, mu how much the items that were seized differ from what's specified in the search warrant to figure out exactly what this is about, particularly given the timeline um, that's provided and, and, like the dates that they were supposed to be seizing things from this to that. So uh, I I knew that this didn't have anything to do with her, and I tried to communicate that very clearly to any other members of the press that, hey, I think that this is about this thing. I haven't gotten any confirmation on that, but it doesn't have anything to do with Lynn. And so I think that every, I mean, anybody who reported on this was aware that I had told them that. But at the same time, as a journalist, 
do you do you take one source's word for it on what something is about? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were if I were in the other circumstances, what would I do? Now, do I think that it's appropriate to speculate that this has some relationship to some other kind of legal actions involving the election? Remember, this happened, right. you know, less than two weeks after the election, right. right? You know, I had to put my career on hold for six months to work with Lynn on, on the election. And then, you know, after the election, it took like a week to recover. And then I was just getting back into doing my day-to-day work the weekend before they broke into my house and took everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this has happened at a time when other, at least one other newsroom in Kansas was also raided. In this case, it wasn't by the FBI. It was by a local law enforcement agency. And it got national attention. It shut that newsroom down. But very briefly, in this case, your newsroom was shut down for weeks, months. It's still, you're still crippled by it. Um, and this does raise a lot of interesting First Amendment uh, questions uh, because the Justice Department is supposed to have rules regarding when and, and how and, and why they would uh, obtain a search warrant uh, for a journalist. And so uh, we have uh, with us on the phone uh, Allison Steele. Uh, Allison uh, is a, a St. Petersburg attorney who has been uh, focused on First Amendment issues for more than 30 years and has represented some of the biggest media companies in the state. And Allison, are you there? I am here. Thanks for joining us. Um, can you tell us uh, from your perspective what this represents as far as a, a threat to the First Amendment? Oh, sure. Um, rating news media offices, and in this case, even more horrifying, uh, a journalist uh, home. Uh, it's a common tactic of governments in totalitarian regimes to shut down dissidents, to shut down uh, the reporting of news and the expression of opinion that the government doesn't uh, doesn't like for some reason. Um, in in America, because you know our, our government is not all powerful, um, we, we see that happening. With respect to private businesses who have, you know, a lot of money, a lot of profile, and a lot of big mouths, um, it's a it's a uh, it's a flagrant attack on those people who are engaging in First Amendment activity. Uh, the the news media Tim has to be able to report on uh, the doings of the powerful and and the rich. Uh, and those people who want to hold sway over us, either with their, you know, force or their ideas, and um, the 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 uh, instilling of fear in uh, people like him who are engaged in First Amendment activity is a very powerful weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead. And don't they aren't they supposed to have rules about this kind of? Search, sure. Allison, and, and they do, and yeah. they do, and the Justice Department uh, has been clear, and and there are statutes which uh, require uh, government agencies in you know in the law enforcement realm, uh, working under the Attorney General, to apply um, certain tests to whether or not it is in fact a legitimate uh, government activity to. 
criminally investigate a, a journalist for being a journalist, for doing journalistic activity. And, uh, you know, the, the, the test and, the, and the, the AG's memo on the subject and the rules, they're not lightly disregarded. I mean, we can't say that they're up there sort of willy-nilly deciding who to raid next. But um, just the fact that those things exist tell us that in our country, the government is sitting up there making decisions about what is legitimate journalism and what is not, what is actually criminal activity. Um, you know, in this case, it sounds like from, you know, the, when we, and we don't know everything now, but we know a little bit. We, we know that, that there is some sort of issue raised by uh, Carlson and, and Fox with respect to content theft which has been, I think, pretty much debunked, but still, that's the alleged issue. And then a possible violation of the, the uh, wiretap statute. And when we say wiretap in this context, we're talking about uh, recording and broadcasting um, people surreptitiously, uh, you know, without their consent and knowledge. So there are, there are rules that, uh, you know, govern journalists. Like you can't, in Florida, secretly tape record people. Don't do that. Uh, that that is a crime. But when you come into possession as a journalist of a tape recording that was made secretly, you as a journalist have some protection for broadcasting news about what's on that tape. Mm -hmm. And that that comes from the First Amendment and it comes from Supreme Court decisions. So I mean, we're talking about really the government uh, getting itself deep into uh, what its main watchdog, the, the, the news media, does as, as, its, as its primary function in our democracy. What I find ironic, Allison, here is that, that it's several years ago, a Fox, like Murdoch-owned media company in England, literally was, was, was listening in and recording private conversations of public officials, and, you know, including Prince Harry, who just recently... Want a you know, suit? Want a suit over this? Oh, the irony! Yeah, oh, yeah. I agree. Um, <laughs> but it, it's all. And there's nothing like. There's no accusation that's even close to that in this case, right? No, there's not. There, there's not. There's absolutely not. Uh, uh, Tim was not um, bugging uh, Fox News or Chuckle Carson. I can't imagine any, you know, interesting reason for doing that. Um, uh, you know, an, an independent news media that can report on the powerful. Uh, without fear, is absolutely vital to our democracy. And, you know, look, the framers knew it. The framers of the Constitution knew it. They enshrined that right first, along with, heck, free religion and, and the right to peaceably assemble as a group of citizens and the right to petition government for redress. That, those are core values that distinguish the United States and our Constitution from Lots of countries on Earth, and I'm looking at you, Russia. Um, <laughs> these these are these are regimes that that frankly, you know, they disappear people. They uh, they engage in rendition, which is essentially abducting. But what I find uh, fascinating, uh, though, Allison, is this is happening uh, on, on Joe Biden's watch. Oh um, man! Uh, yeah. so, someone <laughs> someone tweeted. Will Bunch tweeted about uh, the kind of banana uh, republic crackdown that might occur against the free press if Trump is elected, and and uh, sure. this was uh, last month, uh, Tim tweeted back, 
given that Biden's DOJ raided and seized the entirety of my newsroom six months ago and refused to return the documents I was reporting on or even explain why they took them, I don't think this is if Trump becomes president issue. Um, yeah, I, I am surprised yeah. this hasn't gotten more attention than it has. Uh, the uh, you know, I am too. Um, and uh, w- one of the reasons here could possibly be, and I, I'm truly speculating, is part of this has this sort of weird intellectual property flavor, you know, like uh, the ownership of um, uh, copyrighted material. Um, and it, because it has sort of that weird and arcane uh, uh, flavor to it, um, it may look to people less like uh, um, a, a, a straight, straight up, uh, you know, news gathering question was the news gathering legal or illegal. But uh, what, what we're seeing, you know, these days is that copyright laws are are becoming uh, something of a weapon that the powerful use to to mm-hmm. uh, to silence um, individuals who who are engaging in either news reporting or commentary, you know, because because we all have the right to report and to comment. And uh, the, the, and there's the, fair use when it comes to copyrighted material as well. Sure, so there I, absolutely I, is. But again, you know, and, and like many things in the law, that's a four-part test. That's an analysis that if you're engaged in, in this arena of activity, you, 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 you really sort of have to have some, uh, some uh, legal guidance to help you sort through that. Um, I think it's really important these days for, for uh, lawyers who have familiarity with and, and education in this area of, of the law to make themselves available to, to people uh, like Tim and, and like others who are, are truly trying to engage in, uh, you know, contributing to the public discussion and not uh, cowering in fear and silence because, you know, not only could they get raided, they could get sued. Uh, and, you know, they're, both of those things are pretty bad because they both can in, end up with you penniless and without all your belongings. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a piece. It's, we're seeing something that's, uh, that's a part of a piece. We're seeing book banning. We're seeing restrictions on university classes and what professors can say. Yep. We're seeing decisions by government and uh, uh, rich organizations on what we as a people are allowed to talk about. Well, are there press organizations, uh, First Amendment groups that are uh, trying to do something about this case, trying to pressure the Justice Department, the Biden White House? Yeah, and in Tim's case, um, there's a coalition of, of, I want to say 50, I think is the number, of uh, either uh, news organizations or supporters uh, of uh, First Amendment rights and values um, all of those people who are engaged in uh, the academic study of, of constitutional values of our nation have, have petitioned uh, Attorney General Garland uh, for some answers to some pretty serious questions about how in the world can something like this happen. I mean, there's Tim lining his business in his own home in, in uh, uh, Tampa, Florida, and bang, there's the FBI. Uh, six o'clock in the morning. You know, could, could that happen to me? Could, who, who's that going to happen to next? I think is the right question. Well, uh, I think part. Of, I wonder if part of the, this issue is the nature of Tim's work and the fact that he is running kind of his own news operation. He's a one-person thing. Even the the newsroom in Kansas 
that got rated and got so much attention. I think they it was a pretty small newsroom too, but it was kind of a more traditional newsroom, and reporters can kind of relate to that. Yeah, um, they got some ink and some you know paper and stuff like that. Uh, but that's that, that's not our reality of journalism today. Um, we we are moving from the old Gutenberg press uh, to uh, days in which uh, uh, it, it's dig- digital uh, reporting is the the way the future is going. And I don't mean hacking. I mean finding information through completely legitimate uh, uh, looking around on the internet. It's, mm-hmm. it's 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 important. It's important to be able to do that. There's there is so much information available today uh, that we need people who are able to comb through it, uh, follow up on it, construe it, and tell us what it means. Give, give us some idea: is this important or is it not? Uh, is this part of the noise and is it not? Uh, that's it, it. Sort of raises the question of uh, the media. Is obligation to cover the media, uh, and given that the media is trending digital, um, a, a, a lot of the coverage of, of what our very rich and powerful media outlets are doing is going to be digital. I think it's uh, we're you know we're, we're absolutely kidding ourselves if we think that um, we do not need to uh, examine how the First Amendment protects activity in this day and age with the tools that we now have so the, the clips that are in question or that that caused this um investigation they were clips that were publicly available is that correct is that um, wh- what we're talking about it seems to be what what the the facts that we know are indicating that yeah. it was possible to to uh find these things to access them to uh, read them and and to you know republish them without any kind of particular credentials. For for many many years, uh, we have always said as news media lawyers to our clients, look if the source approaches you and hands you a box of paper, uh, you know take the box. Let's see what's in it. But if the source approaches you and hands you his uh, user ID and password. For the company computer system, whoa! Yeah, right. That's going to fall pretty clearly within a statute that's going to prohibit you from unauthorized uh, access of computer systems. Well, let me theory. bring Tim into the conversation because Tim, I, sure. I've been, I have been feeling all along that part of this issue is the is the the prosecutors, the U.S. attorney in the Middle District of Florida, Jay Trezavant, the assistant uh, prosecutor, who is actually running this case, don't even understand what you do for a living. Well, given that uh, the prosecution asked my lawyer, what does he do for a living? I think that's a, <laughs> literally asked him that flat out. Uh, <clears throat> Tom, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Because I think that, I mean, we don't just have a federal privacy protection act that was enacted after the Obama administration was caught spying on journalists that specifically lays out a chain of events that has to happen mm-hmm. and that the um, information that is sought by the government has to be sought through a 
subpoena process, not a search warrant process, so that I can go before a judge, get a hearing, and say why I should have access to That's this. a really good point because these, these search warrants are issued by a judge after looking at only one side's information, right? Yeah. And Allison, I know you're not... Exactly. You're not yeah, involved. Exactly. You're, you, just to make it clear, you're not representing Tim in any way. You're, you're speaking, you know, uh, independently. But isn't, isn't that correct? And so that's... That's, that's absolutely correct. And yeah. so what happened in this case? Why did they, why did they violate their own rules? Well... Uh, oh, sorry. And I don't think you go ahead. You, you could speak party. much better than me. I don't think so, Tim. I think you're doing a great job all by yourself. Um, I don't think this is a as, as we've we've sort of touched on that this is at all a politics thing. I think it's a power of government thing. And explain what do you mean? They they did this because they can. Because they can. Uh, yes, um, the government ha- has. Uh, there's there have been numerous incidents over the years where the government has sought to subpoena journalist work product or subpoena journalists to come and testify. There have been journalists who've gone to gone to jail rather than follow a judge's order to testify. Mm-hmm. Understand that a subpoena is tested in in the adversarial process of a courtroom. It, it's it's tested with with uh, you know testimony about um, well you know what is this stuff that you're looking for and how does it relate to something that's of a compelling interest to the government. And uh, it, it, so there, there's uh, then the application of, of legal principles by a judge having considered both sides, facts, and arguments. With a search warrant, that doesn't happen. Uh, the search warrant uh, is a, a um, uh, single-party thing where the, the government goes into the judge and says, uh, we think... A, B, C, D, and X, Y, and Z. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, a search warrant will we'll just pretty much say, we, we, it is our understanding. We have it on information. A source told us. It, so it's not, you know, I was present when uh, mm-hmm. X, Y, Z happened. It's, I, I've gathered all of this hearsay. And this is a sworn affidavit that they sure. present to the judge. And uh, yeah. so, Tim, what does that affidavit show? I have no idea because they won't show it to it's us. Secret. It's secret. It's secret. Is that it's is that uh, kind of standard procedure? Uh, when there is an ongoing criminal investigation, it, and the re- revelation of the details of the search warrant could interfere, perhaps by you know alerting somebody who is a subject and could flee, or who could destroy evidence, um, or uh, so, you know some something else to escape the potential uh, criminal um, consequences, then yes, it, it, it's, it's not abnormal uh, because we don't generally, uh, even in Florida, uh, get a, an unexecuted search warrant until, you know, they've got the, the alleged perpetrator in custody. Uh, so here, uh, you know, quite uh, bizarrely, we have a person who is not, not even charged with anything. Right. And it, it sits there with you completely innocent of anything. Uh, and and he's being held on secret evidence. Now, tell me what government that sounds like. Right. And and not only that, you're, you mentioned your attorney. Now, who did you end up 
who'd you, who do you hire for something like this? Because the uh, first thing you did was hire an, not hire, you called a called friend. Called the ACLU. Right. Called the ACLU. Right. And um, uh-huh. what, do you, what did you do? So, you know, and I was, I was very fortunate that, you know, we had made friends, you know, with Mr. Shaw to be able to ask his advice on this. And he recommended uh, Michael Maddox, who um, I have had a wonderful experience with here as my, as my local attorney. Uh, over the, the the rest of the way, I uh, was fortunate enough to be connected with Mark Rash, who is out of Bethesda, Maryland, and he is the founder of the DOJ's Cyber Crimes Division, and <laughs> and personally drafted the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, the law that is allegedly what I broke to warrant them taking everything out of my office. So more ironies. Yes. Well, I, I mean, if, if, if you are fortunate enough to be able to hire the person who wrote the law that they say you broke, That's then helpful. do that. That's, I'm going to recommend that to everybody. <laughs> and so what, what has he said? To, at least, I, mean, I, mean, he's, he's, I mean, he has had righteous outrage about this from the moment that I told him, you know, um, you know, once I was granted privilege to tell him what I, what happened here. And he has been, you know, it was one of those conversations. I didn't have to put him on speaker because my wife could hear him yelling <laughs> through the phone in regular mode. He was so outraged at the violation of my, my first amendment rights. But, um, and then I also am very fortunate to have, um, Ryan Kirkpatrick from the legal team of, uh, that, that just represented dominion in its, $750 million settlement against Fox News uh, working pro bono for me, Great. As, as well as having a, a non-lawyer um, person working pro bono on my, on my legal team and a WMNF own Shelly Reback is also uh, helping with, my, with all of our work. And I can report today that we uh, are going to the 11th Circuit and filing our appeal at that level today to... Oh. Um, breaking news. Yes, I'm breaking the news that... We will be uh, filing our appeal at the 11th Circuit, and hopefully this will be the one that gets us a hearing. Because, again, it has been, you know, thousands of thousands of pages at this point of legal filings, and I haven't even gotten to see a judge yet. And well, that's kind of crazy. And, and, and yeah. Tom, you asked something earlier about, like, the difference between Marion County and... Kansas. Yep. Um, the, there's two differences. One, under the law in their case the affidavit had to be unsealed so right. everyone could see and impeach the information that was used to warrant that search warrant and thus they are able to already have initiated a criminal investigation of the falsehoods that were reported in that and that led to that search warrant being executed and the other thing is this uh, they had surveillance cameras that we had video evidence of these these police officers stumbling, bumbling around through this newsroom, trying to figure out how computers worked and things like that. <laughs> and and so there was a, there was visual evidence of this thing happening. Whereas in my case, the FBI, as soon as they arrived on my property, cut the wires to my security cameras. Wow! So that there wouldn't be any evidence of what they did while they were on my trashing premises. trashing your house. They cut. So then, then you had to get that fixed. They, well, to the FBI's credit, they gave me a number to call 
to get reimbursed for the cameras. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's but, crazy. Did uh, they, did, did they, they hire a cleaning cameras. service to clean up the house? That must not have been easy. You had to clean up the house afterwards. I was just... I, I mean, it's, it's it's so hard, you know, and I'm a person who has a, a, has a background in, in theater I, I, and, and performance studies, and that's what I did in my, for my PhD, you know, here at USF. I'm on the board of Jobsite Theater here in, here in Tampa, and I went through such this range of emotions in those, like, two weeks after this happened. Literally every emotion that you could feel, many that I never felt in, in my life, uh, paranoia, and and rage and and generalized anxiety, pride, um, like the, uh, the, uh, the like the search for vengeance. Okay, mm-hmm. all of these things, and I tried to tuck those things in little places, so I could pull them out someday when I when if I needed them on a stage or in anything else. But what I've realized is that you know we have I we've had to recalibrate our baseline of you know sort of how affected we are by all of this and that like we're not right and there's very we're not even if if, if they gave everything back to me mm-hmm. to, like they today they say hey we realize we screwed up here never mind well, it's such a violation like, yeah. and uh, i'm not going to be right for a long time, long time. yeah and I think that anybody who experiences, you know, something that is traumatic to them in some right. way, I think that coming to that realization is helpful to navigating the rest of your life and, and saying like, no, you don't go back to normal. You, you just try to do, have every day be better than the one before. Well, you are trying to get a hearing. That's what this appeal is about. What are you going to hope to accomplish in that hearing? Well, so far the government has, you know, been able to avoid answering the questions of whether they violated the Privacy Protection Act and whether they violated Florida's shield law, which is one of the really interesting things is that in the, in the state of Florida, we can be very, you know, skeptical about the strength of the laws that are meant to protect people's rights here. But we actually have, do have a very strong shield law for journalists here. And information that we have been given from the prosecution team suggests that they act. I mean, well, for one thing, we know that they executed a search warrant based on accessing like my DMs in violation of the Ford Shield Law. But <laughs> we also know that they violated it because they took took four of my reporting notebooks, um, physical notebooks, in which I memorialized my conversations with confidential sources going back almost ten years, and have very very and unrelated cases. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, just completely unrelated to this. And not mentioned on the search warrant. Obviously, the search warrant is for electronic equipment only. They searched out these notebooks of mine <laughs> that have, again, like very, very, like some stories that I didn't ever, like that I that I never finished reporting on. Some stories that I did report on, but obviously kept the sources confidential. Mm-hmm. And those sources are identified in my notes. The government took those and had them for six months. Wow. Well, Allison, what do you think of that? I mean, I, this is just beyond belief that this is happening in the 21st well, century. You know, it, it's kind of ordinary for a government agents to exceed a, a search warrant a little bit. Like if it's for electronic things and they take your, you know, PS4 or something. 
<laughs> I mean, it's not it, it, notebooks. I, I'm, and you, they I'm still haven't given you your notebooks back. I'm having. I got them back last month. That. You got them back last month. Yeah. The, it's a, the classic, classic method of finding uh, means to shut down a journalist. Uh, make his sources be afraid. Right. That, that they will, despite best efforts, uh, be revealed. I don't even know why they would take something clearly that old because I'm Tim. I'm imagining you label them with you know something like a year. Literally, the front of each notebook has <laughs> the span of time that it covers, all of which are well before the dates on the search warrant. But since you have not been able to have a, a court hearing, has has your lawyer who wrote helped write the law and was the head of this division, has he been able to meet with Jay Trezevant, the prosecutor who apparently doesn't know what you do for a living or understand how the Internet works, and to explain <laughs> to this guy, you know, here's where you're wrong. Well, the, the issue here is that it's been the government's position from the beginning that I'm not a journalist. Right. And, 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 well, no, I'm sorry. It hasn't been that from the beginning, but it's been that since the moment they were informed that I'm a journalist. <laughs> they didn't have any position on whether I was a journalist or not until they were informed that I was a journalist, at which point they suddenly said, oh, we looked high and low and have never found any bylines by this guy, never minding that I have them in creative loafing and that I contributed to numerous uh, publications over the past oh, year. Oh, it only counts if it's in print? Well, including I mean, Fox <laughs> News. Right. No, that it's literally... Yeah. and uh, the uh, Daily Beast. They, and... their, their, definition, their definition of journalists excluded editors. And photojournalists. So, like, huh. Ben Bradley was not a journalist who contributed to the publishing of, you know, like the Pentagon Papers. But, under but, the journal, but under as the we know, government. journalists generally do not uh, uh, go into this line of work uh, to uh, get rich. So, this has got to have taken a toll on you. And is there is there any help out there for you to help pay these because the guy who used to run the cybersecurity of, uh, uh, division of the Justice Department must yeah. be pretty expensive. He, he's 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 not. Uh, he, he's not he, cheap. He, he earns he earns his his living just like journalists do and just like everyone else does. Uh, and do you have a GoFundMe? I I have a, a third party has created an actual um, uh, state of Florida registered not for profit corporation called the Tim Burke Legal Fund. Uh, it's Tim Burke to be. T-I-M-B-U-R-K-E legalfund.org and if you go there it has updates on our case uh, it'll have a link to the appeal that we filed as soon as that's available publicly okay. and uh, you can make donations there you can send checks we are grateful for all the support and we are just about out of time I really appreciate Allison Steele thank you for calling in Allison and adding your voice to you this bet. thanks so much to Tim Burke for his uh, storytelling and uh, we'll have you on again under better circumstances uh, this is wmnf in tampa everybody have a very happy holiday and a happy new year